much. I'm looking forward to this particular message because I've never preached on this topic in 17 years of ministry. So I pray that not only are you going to be able to uh, glean some wisdom from God's Word, uh, but you're also going to be able to see here how it applies to your life as well. Now, on Facebook, I love watching what are called reels. Uh, reels on Facebook are little short videos, and the ones that I love watching are the ones of lions and cheetahs and leopards stalking and eventually catching their prey, right? Well, I want you to imagine one of those lions. Imagine one of those cheetahs. Imagine one of those leopards stalking and then chasing down a bale of hay. That makes no sense, does it? Well, during the 1,000-year reign of Jesus that will occur after seven years of horrible tribulation, peace will rule the earth not only in people but also the animal kingdom. During the Lord's millennial kingdom, as it's called, those who belong to God by faith in Jesus Christ will not only experience peace untold, they will also experience prosperity, purity, prolonged life, and personal joy like you ain't never seen it before. Brother Hallett will remind us of that Christmas song. It's almost time for Christmas songs, ain't it, brother? It will remind us of that Christmas song, Joy to the World. You know how it goes, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Those words. The words to that song could accurately describe this coming millennium. This coming 1,000 years that Jesus is going to rule on this earth. Now, as awesome as that joy is going to be, as incredible as that peace is going to be, it's only going to be a foretaste of what's to come for us in heaven. This morning, I want to share with you about this millennium. I want to share with you about this 1,000-year earthly reign where Jesus is going to come back and we're coming with him. Somebody say amen. We're coming with him to rule and reign over the earth for what the Bible says is 1,000 years. Now, I know that many of you have not even heard this before, but I want to tell you and assure you that anything that I tell you this morning is all Bible. It's all from this book, okay? So I'm not giving you any personal prognostications. 
I'm not giving you any personal idea. I'm giving you Bible. Okay? So I want you to know that. Um, this millennium, this thousand year reign uh, is addressed in Revelation chapter 20. Now that's on page 1101 in the Bibles in front of you if you want to see that what I'm preaching today is Bible. Okay? Follow along with me in Revelation chapter 20 and I'm going to begin in verse 1. We know that John is on the island of Patmos and he's been told by Jesus to write down this vision that he's given. And in verse 20, John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of that dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him with that chain for 1,000 years. And he cast him into that bottomless pit and he shut him up and he set a seal on him. He locked him up in there. So that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he, Satan, must be released for a little while. And John says, I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to the ones who sat on the thrones. And I saw the souls of those that had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. I saw the souls of those who had not worshipped the beast or his image during that seven-year tribulation period, who had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand, and they lived and reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the 1,000 years were finished. This is what's called the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in this first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him for 1,000 years. Now, verse 7, when the 1,000 years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Now, this is what's called the Battle of Armageddon. So he'll gather them to this battle of Armageddon and their number is as the sand of the sea. And they, Satan and his armies, went up on the breadth of the earth. They surrounded the camp of the saints, of those who had been saved by Christ and the beloved city in which they lived. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured up that enemy. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now friends, Christians hold three 
primary views about this thousand-year reign, about this millennium. One of them is called a post-millennialism. Post-millennialism suggests that Jesus will return after this thousand years that follows the Great Tribulation, and he will inherit a world that has been radically changed by the gospel. Only one problem with that. If we're honest, we can only wish that Christians were faithful enough to share the gospel like that. The second view is a millennialism, and it suggests that there ain't no thousand years at all. They propose that these events we just read about have been manifesting themselves and have been unfolding throughout the church age for the past 2,000 years. But then there's this third view. It's called pre-millennialism, and it is the oldest and most widely accepted view and interpretation, and it says that Jesus Christ will return before, not after, before that thousand years begins following that tribulation period. Now, I want to take an opportunity to walk you through very quickly God's plan for end-time events. Most Christians don't really understand this and can't picture it in their mind, okay? So what I'm going to do is we're going to walk through this timeline very quickly, okay? First of all, notice over here we have the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, that's after he was crucified. Forty days later, he ascended to heaven to be with his father. Well, ever since then, the church age has been going on. This is the age by which people are coming to Christ. This is the age in which the church is doing its work, reaching out beyond its walls and proclaiming the gospel. Well, at some point, only known by the Father, Jesus is going to rapture the church. Jesus is going to bring up his people to be with him forever. Now, at that point, when Jesus raptures his church, a horrible seven-year tribulation is going to occur. Friend, this is, the, this is what we read about in Revelation about moons and planets and asteroids coming down. Right? This is where we read about the sun being blotted out and the moon turning blood red, etc., etc. We read about a third of the population dying and all the animals dying, etc., etc. The good news is for you and I is if you are a born-again Christian, you are ready with Jesus. Amen? So you're not going through this tribulation period. Now, at the conclusion of that seven-year tribulation, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he's bringing me and he's bringing you with him if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that coming, the thousand years, that thousand-year millennial reign At the conclusion of that millennial reign, that thousand years reigning, Jesus reigning on the earth, the people who are not saved by faith will stand before the great white throne judgment for the lake of fire where Satan leads all the false prophets away. And then after that great white throne judgment where everybody who's not a Christian is judged for their sins, judged by their works, 
just a, a real quick snapshot summary. I want you to know about what it waits for you. But the good thing is, is that once Jesus walks into his own, once he wraps his robe and goes on to him, you don't have to worry about anything else until Jesus comes again and we get to come back with him and reign over the earth with him. So for a thousand years. So, one question is, if I'm going to heaven, why do I need to come to earth for a thousand years? Right? Why is this millennial reign, why is this thousand year reign even necessary? Well, today, I hope to answer that question, but I hope to also answer the question that is, what will life be like during this 1,000 year reign, this millennial so let's see if we can bring some answers. First of all, why is this millennium even necessary? If I'm going to heaven, why is it even necessary for me to come and rule and reign with Jesus on the earth? Well, the Bible gives us three purposes for this millennial kingdom. Got a little bit too funky, didn't I? Uh-huh. The Bible says that there are three purposes that support the necessity for this thousand-year reign of Jesus, the first of which is to give a reward to the people of God. This thousand-year kingdom is actually going to be a reward for me and you. In our last message, the Scriptures pointed out rewards that believers might expect to receive for our faithfulness in this life. Now, there are many other biblical promises of other rewards and one of them is listed in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, where the prophet said, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and listen to this, and his reward will be with him. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with the angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. Paul then wrote to the church of believers at Colossae. And he said, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not as unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward, a reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reward mentioned in those three verses I just shared is a lot different from the crowns that I mentioned a couple messages ago. These are, this is different. The millennial kingdom itself is a reward for faithful servants of the Lord during this life. It's a blessing. The blessing of reigning and ruling with your Savior Jesus Christ for 1,000 years right here on this planet. Listen to what Jesus said to his apostles in Matthew chapter 19. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, when the Son of Man sits on his throne of glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 24 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Paul said to the church at Corinth, speaking of us, he said, Do you not know that the saints, the saved by faith, the ones who have come to Christ, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Well, I can't speak for you, but I ain't got no business judging anybody. Right? So how am I going to judge anybody? 
Well, I just want you to know that when Christ comes, he's bringing us with him. And when he comes, if we don't know how to do the work, if we don't know how to do the assignments, he's going to provide what we need. He'll provide us the ability, the wisdom, the encouragement, the heart. He'll provide us the ability to be able to judge properly like he would. Now, many people don't like the idea of serving as a reward. But I'm telling you, you're going to like this reward. This reward. See, God offers us a very different idea of serving him. It's very different. God says, listen guys, the work that I give you, it ain't work at all. It's more like a privilege that you will enjoy. Increased responsibility. Being able to judge will be a great reward because of your faithfulness here during this life. And if you're not ready to do what God called you to do, he'll provide you with the ability. He'll provide you with the resources. He'll provide you with the wisdom that you need to do what he wants you to do. Friends, we're going to enjoy serving the Lord. We're going to enjoy serving him with all of our heart, with a sharper mind, with a clearer purpose, and with an unrelenting joy. It's going to be great. But why else? Why else is this millennium even necessary? Well, the second purpose is this. To receive an answer to the disciples' prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And in that Matthew chapter 6, he gave them a model prayer. And in that model prayer... He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Say it with me. On earth as it is in heaven. Friend, that prayer has been prayed countless times. That prayer has been prayed in countless churches. That prayer has been prayed in countless worship services throughout centuries of church history. But that prayer still remains unanswered. It's not happened on earth as it is in heaven yet. But with this promised millennium, God's kingdom will be on earth. And with this kingdom also comes the answer to the disciples' prayer. Now, there's a third purpose for this millennium, and that is to remind us of our sin and Christ's cure. Let me explain something here in verse 2 and 3. The Bible tells us that Satan will be bound. He will be bound throughout this thousand-year period of Christ's earthly reign. But at the end of that thousand years, the Bible says that Satan is going to be released for how long? For a little while. He's going to be released for a little while. And after he's released, Satan will, as he always does, he will mount a rebellion against King Jesus and all those who follow him. And listen to what happens in verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison 
and will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together, together in this battle of Armageddon, whose number is the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of the believers and the beloved city in which they live. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Can I tell you, I've read the end of the story, and God wins. Amen. So we're we are in good hands. But here's my point. We must not forget that during this thousand years, it's very likely that we're going to have children. We've never thought of that. It's very likely that faithful believers will have children. However, as always, faith is not inherited. Any more then than it is today. We have to be about the business of sharing the faith with our children. Sharing the faith with the next generation. It's important that we realize that the sin nature of man will still be alive and well. We're not going to be perfect yet. Right? But it's sadder still that there will actually be some who will refuse to submit to the rule of Jesus Christ in his kingdom here on earth. However, with Satan out of the picture for 1,000 years, with him gone out of the picture, at least man's sin won't be enticed. At least I don't have to worry about the enemy constantly tempting my own sin nature. Right? Because he's, he's bound. He's, he's out of the picture. But wow. When Satan is released, you better watch out. You better watch out because he's going to stir up rebellion. He's going to stir up strife. He's going to stir up temptation like nobody's business, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. How many of you know that the Garden of Eden was a perfect place? Right? Even Adam and Eve who were in the Garden, they were a, a... a righteous people, but they still had a sin nature that could be tempted and was, and it cost them critically. So this reminds us, friend, that, that sin is our biggest problem on this earth. It's sin that is our biggest problem on earth, not our environment, not our upbringing, not our government, not our education, not our genetics. Sin is our biggest problem, and Jesus is the only solution to our biggest problem. He's the only cure to our sin cancer. And if you don't come and accept that solution, the only place that you're going to be seeing God is at that great white throne judgment where he judges you according to your works. So the millennium is necessary in order to reward God's people, to also receive an answer to the disciples' prayer, but also to remind us of our greatest sins and also Christ's greatest cure. But I wondered, what's life going to be like in the millennium? What's life going to be like in that righteous reign of Jesus. Well, to begin with, it's going to be a glorious time of peace. Now, after World War II, 51 countries entered into what is known as 
the United Nations. And for 77 years, the United Nations has sought to establish world peace to no avail. They have failed miserably. So it leads me to think, if there's going to be peace on earth, if there's going to be goodwill toward men, there's only one that can do it. And that's God himself. But the Bible is full of predictions of peace that will one day describe this kingdom I'm telling you about this morning, this kingdom of life on earth. And my favorite prophecy about that kingdom is found in Isaiah chapter 11. Just check this out. Isaiah is writing about this coming kingdom, and he says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Does that make any sense with anybody? Right? That goes totally counter to those little Facebook videos I was watching, right? The leopard shall lie down with a young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. A nursing child shall play by a cobra's hole. And a weaned child shall put his hand into a viper's den and they shall not hurt nor destroy anything in my holy mountain. For the earth, the earth, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord just as the waters cover the sea. True peace will not only be a godsend for people, it's going to be an incredible gift to the animal kingdom. So what the United Nations has miserably failed to accomplish, Jesus is going to bring to pass in his millennial kingdom. It'll be time of worldwide peace. But that's not all, because there will also be a time of prosperity. Now we all like the idea of being wealthy, amen? Amen? We like the idea of prosperity. We like the idea of being a little bit wealthy, right? We love it so much that even some of our churches and some preachers preach what is called a prosperity gospel, which basically means is if you believe, then you're going to get rich. But we know better, and we don't look to wealth we don't look to riches as part of our salvation in this life. We know, however, that the Lord's kingdom is going to bring this time of prosperity the likes of somebody I've never seen before. Prosperity. Now, when the Bible foretells of prosperity for God's people, it mostly comes in agricultural terms. You see, that was the, that was the currency when the Bible was written was in agricultural terms. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 34, we see how Ezekiel measured prosperity. Listen to what he said about this millennial kingdom. God said to Ezekiel, I will make them and the places all around at my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season, and there, sh there shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her riches, and they shall be safe in their land, 
and they shall know that I am the Lord, and I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hands of their enslavement. Also, when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, he began by reminding them, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friend, listen, when the Lord rules, every spiritual blessing is afforded to those who belong to him. Every, can you imagine having every spiritual blessing being manifest in your life? Friend, it's going to happen in this millennial kingdom. It's going to be a time of physical and spiritual prosperity. But it will also be a time of purity. I want to be honest with you for a minute. There have been times in my life where I have thought, Lord, I want to give up my free will. I don't want free will no more. I want to give up my free will so that I can honor you and sin no more. I don't want free will anymore. Lord, I want you to make me submit to your will. I want to be made to submit to will. You deserve that, Lord. You deserve it. And then I realize that the greatest way for me to really glorify God, the greatest way for me to really exalt my Savior is for me to willingly for me to willingly surrender my will to his will. For me to willingly surrender my way to his way. To willingly surrender what I think I know to his word. In the Lord's 1,000 year kingdom, yeah, man's sin nature is going to still exist. It's still going to be here. It's still going to be here, but it will be kept in check, if you will. Disobedience will be dealt with swiftly and it will be dealt with effectively in order to maintain the peace and the prosperity that our Savior promised. I'm so, so looking forward to the Lord's kingdom. I can't wait to see what he has in store for us for 1,000 years. His reign is going to be so righteous. His kingdom is going to be so holy. And if we will submit to him, it's going to be a blessing for each and every one of us. The presence of God is going to be known and felt in a way it never has been known or felt before. But it's not just going to be a time of purity. It's also going to be a time of prolonged life. It baffles me when I teach the children on Wednesdays and I read through Genesis and I read about these people who lived 600 years like Noah. And I teach that to our children. And then I read about this one guy who lived to be 969 years old named Methuselah. And my mind is just baffled because I know that lifespans have dramatically decreased since then. However, in the millennial kingdom of Christ, 
people will once again live long, long lives. In fact, Isaiah said that a 100-year-old person is going to be like a small child. And if a 100-year-old person is still a child, then that must mean that lifespans revert back to those pre-flood ages of 600, 700. Who knows? You might live to be 900 years old in that kingdom age. Friend, listen, the only fountain of youth you've got to look forward to is this millennial kingdom. Amen. But it's not just prolonged life. Finally, it's also going to be a time of real, incredible, personal joy. Look, you've never seen. When our righteous king restores order and balance and justice to his kingdom, almost every single cause of heartache in your life is going to be gone. No more. You see, joy, friend, is the natural byproduct have peace, you can have joy. But if you don't have peace, you don't have joy. Psalm, one, Psalm 16, one, or 11, David wrote, in your presence is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. Friends, listen, the day is coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the King that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and that day is called the millennium. The thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. And if you want to see that day, if you want to be a part of the reward of this kingdom, then you have to begin today submitting to God and confessing that Jesus Christ is the king of your life. He is the Lord of your life. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Friend, have you been denying Jesus? Is your Savior from sin long enough? Have you been denying that Jesus is your Lord Long enough? Maybe you're not doing it verbally, but if you're honest with yourself, you've been doing it actually. Is He your Savior? Is He the Lord of your life? Does your life reflect that? Is today your day to turn from sin? Is, your day, is today your day to finally and Ultimately, bow and say, I'm not my king anymore. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm giving, I'm surrendering willingly, Lord, my life to your rule. If you'll do that, he'll not only use you for his glory, but I want to tell you that you will also experience this millennial kingdom that is going to be so amazing. You know, as I read this passage, I couldn't help but Continue on a little bit into the last five verses of the chapter. And what it says really broke my heart. Because it reminded me 
of what people who don't know Jesus are going to face. Verse 11, John says, I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it, from whom whose faith the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. No place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead. The death, death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and were judged each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And if you don't get anything else I said today, you get this. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into is clear. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is made right with God. With the mouth one confesses and you are saved. My prayer for you is that your name be written so that we can rule and reign together with our Lord and Savior Jesus and ultimately enjoy a heaven that is going to be so spectacular human beings cannot even articulate or put it into words. So today is decision day for you. If you're not a believer, you can become one today. And if Jesus has been your Savior, but you have to acknowledge that he hasn't been your Lord, you can walk out of here a different, different believer. Let me pray for you today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for providing us the means by which we can be saved from sin, the means by which our names can be written in the Lamb's book of life, the means by which we can be in heaven with you and with all those who have preceded us in faith and gone before us. Father, we want to declare our love for you. And Father, we pray and ask you that you would speak to us individually right now. And if there's a decision that needs to be made, Father, I pray that we be quick to make that decision by faith. Declare you and confess you as Savior and as Lord. And live the life, the life you've intended us to live. We love you, Lord. And we praise the name of Jesus who made it all possible. And we exalt you today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.